Thank you for listening to Calvary Aurora's weekly Bible study. We pray as you study through God's Word that you're blessed by God's abounding grace. Well, uh, if you would, open up your Bibles to the book of Philippians, chapter 3. And as you're turning there, I just want to say how blessed I am to be able to be with you tonight. And I got to tell you, I sincerely, wholeheartedly, and dearly um, just love your pastor. He is a good, good man. And I just, uh, the Bible tells us to honor our our elders and those that lead us. So can we give Pastor Ed and his staff and his crew just a round of applause and thank them for all their hard work. Good, good people. I know uh, sometimes as pastors, you know, we leave church on Sundays and and, uh, instead of having roast beef, we have roast pastor. And, um, you know, it's just, it's good to honor our pastors and our leaders. Um, And of course, we want to welcome all the people listening on Grace FM in Colorado Springs and here in the metro area. So can we welcome them as they join us live right now? Well, uh, like Pastor Aaron said, my name is uh, Fernando. Um, I, my parents named me after an ABBA song. If you know who ABBA is, I'm sorry. Um, no, but they named me after an ABBA song, and if you don't know who they are, then uh, you're not really missing out either. So, are you guys ready? Like three of you are ready. Are you ready? All right, we're going to get in the Word of God, right? Amen. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, as we study your word, as we open it up, I pray that it would just uh, change our hearts, change our lives. Dear God, we desperately, desperately need you. I pray, Heavenly Father, that this evening, if there's anyone here who doesn't know you, and uh, maybe they've been struggling in their walk with you, maybe, or or they uh, don't have a relationship with you, dear God, I pray that you would begin to work and stir and move in their hearts tonight, that your Holy Spirit would speak. Fill us uh, with you, dear God. No one, no one came to hear from me. We want to hear from you. And so we pray, dear God, that you would work and move in a mighty way. In Jesus' name, and all God's people would say, amen. amen. Well, I'll uh, tell you a little story, just a little story. I, um, I grew up in high school, and let's just say I wasn't uh, a guy that was able to really get a date. Just, you know, a little bit of confession time right now because it's cheaper than counseling. Um, you know, I, I couldn't get a date, and, and um, so one of my friends decided to set me up with uh, his cousin. And he said, listen, Fernando, I, I'm going to set you up on a blind date with my cousin. Her name is Gertrude. And, um, and well, you know, she's beautiful and, and awesome and, and nice, but, but you know, hey, it's going to be a great time. And, and I thought, you know what, this is weird. Blind dates, they, those are weird. I'm just not, no, I'm really not into, I don't know. And, and he uh, said, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. Here's, here's all you have to do. When, when you go and you show up, and, and if she's not, you know, beautiful to you or anything like that, all you have to do is just fake a stomach bug, and you can, you know, just call the date off. I thought, okay, fine, all right, I'll, I'll go ahead and go with this. And so I showed up that night, rang the doorbell. Gertrude answered the door, and I thought, oh, man, she is beautiful. But she took one look at me and all of a sudden had some stomach issues. <laughs> and we had, to, we had to call the date off. You know, chances are, in your life, you've been rejected by somebody. 
You've been rejected by others, maybe because you weren't good-looking enough, or maybe because you weren't athletic enough, or rich enough, or cool enough. You know, people have a tendency to look at the outward appearance and, and form an opinion about you. Maybe they look at your credentials and, and think, okay, this person has a degree. Maybe they're smart or, or whatever the case is. But people don't really get to know who you are until they sit down and have a conversation with you. Until they sit down and, and meet with you one-on-one. Fortunately for us, God doesn't look at us the way the world looks at us. He looks at us and thinks we're beautiful and precious and, and awesome in his eyes. You know, God isn't concerned with the outside. He isn't concerned with uh, what you look like or the degrees you have or maybe the, gre- the degrees you don't have, but rather he looks at what's in your heart. And God wants you to have a heart like his when you reach out and love people, regardless of their looks, regardless of their race, regardless of where they come from or their background, regardless of their abilities. At the same time, he also desires for you to know him and know him well and know him intimately and making him known to all the world. And this evening in Philippians chapter 3, Paul the Apostle will give us really an insight into Well, it's not about your accomplishments, it's not about your resume, but rather, for the Christian life, it's about getting to know Jesus and getting to know Jesus more. And so I've titled this evening's message, if you're taking notes, Getting to Know You. Some of you know that song, Getting to Know You, you know, from The King and I, Julie Andrews. Anybody? Yes, something? All right, I'm just weird then. And we'll be looking at three points and then drawing some application at the end. We'll be looking at chapter 3, verse 7 through 9, stop, verse 10, drop, and then verse 11, roll. Stop, drop, and roll. Now let me set the scene a little bit so that we're all on the same page moving in the right direction. Paul the Apostle is writing to a church in the city of Philippi, the ancient city of Philippi. Today it's in a modern day Greece, it's, it's a bunch of ruins, but roughly 2,000 years ago it was a bustling city. It was named after Philip II of Macedon, and uh, Philip II was the father of a guy by the name of Alexander the Great. Well, what happened was after Alexander the Great passed away, the Roman Empire came in, basically took over a lot of these cities. And uh, what took place around 42 BC was when Julius Caesar was killed, um, a couple of his generals decided to have a major battle outside of the city of Philippi. Antony and Octavian defeated the Roman Republic uh, armies of Brutus and Cassius outside of this city. And so this city then becoming a part of the Roman Empire, this city then being led by Antony and Octavian really becomes a military colony for Rome. A lot of the guys retired there, a lot of the guys decided to live there, so it becomes kind of a Rome away from Rome. It's much like what Puerto Rico or Guam is to the United States, where they're a part of the United States, but they're not a state, but you you go there, you can use American currency, so on and so forth. That's what Philippi was. And, and what makes this book so amazing is not necessarily him addressing the people and so on, but rather the, the subject matter of the book. The subject matter is about joy. 
He, he uses the word joy, rejoice, gladness, roughly 19 times in these four little chapters. And what makes it so unprecedented is Paul's situation. Paul is not in a joyful situation. Currently, when he is writing this book, he is in Rome, he is on death row, and he believes he is going to die. And yet, in the midst of of him being in jail in Rome, believing he's going to die, this book rings with just amazing joyful heart, joyful gratitude in, in every area. The idea of, of prisons becoming palaces or, or misery becoming melody or really just thinking of, of being chained day and night to a Roman soldier knowing that that Roman soldier is going to be one for Christ. You know, regardless of your ideas of predestination and, and so on and so forth and, and God's sovereignty and, and so on, if you're chained day and night to Paul the Apostle, you're becoming a Christian, Right? Like, there's just, there's just no ifs, ands, or buts about it. But, but this idea of, of joy in the midst of, of the pain that Paul is going through. I mean, real pain. He is, he is absent from friends. The, the church at Rome really has kind of walked away from Paul. Uh, they, they refuse to visit him. Uh, he, he is in this place, in this jail. And so the idea of joy, it sounds crazy. How can you be joyful while you're in prison? And yet Paul was the happiest man on earth. And so it's either one of, one of three things. One, he's crazy, right? He's just crazy. He's lost it. Number two, he's lying through his teeth. You guys should just be joyful, you know? Or number three, he's tapped into something that is so powerful and so profound that we as believers need to jump on the bandwagon and find out what it is. Because sometimes as Christians, well, we don't look so joyful, do we? I tell my church all the time, you know, we look like we've been baptized in lemon juice. Because we're just, we come in and scowl on our face. The coffee wasn't that good today. And But man, Paul speaks on joy in an amazing way here, even though he is facing death. And even after 30 years of following Jesus and loving the Lord and and planting churches, his whole goal tonight is to know Jesus more. So let's look at our first point, stop. He starts off in chapter 3, verse 4, though I also might have confidence in the flesh, If anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. This is what Paul does here. Paul is basically giving us his resume. He basically lists out everything that would really put him in good standing with God. And he says, I speak with confidence. And he begins to look at at all of the things that, that he could draw on, all the things that he could rely on. 
if, if someone could look at themselves and say that they're worthy of, of heaven, worthy of getting in, it could be Paul the Apostle. You know, if you look at the line in heaven, it's, it's like God the Father, God the Son, the Holy Spirit, Paul, Billy Graham, Mother Teresa, you know, like the, those, those guys are, are shoe-ins. But Paul looks at everything that he's accomplished in his life, everything that he could have confidence in, and he says it really amounts to nothing. And I want to look at this list, uh, the things that he gives, and I want to equate it to really some of the things that we do today as Christians, things that we put our confidence in sometimes. Notice what he starts off with. He says, if anyone has confidence in the flesh, I more so. He says, circumcised on the eighth day. I would say this, don't put your confidence in ritual. Circumcised on the eighth day. We get, for the most part, why this is important. This has more to do with religion than it, than it does with you know, foreskin. Um, you, you get the idea of what Paul is talking about in being circumcised. Yes? I don't have to go sixth grade on you guys? No? Okay, so we get the idea. Paul was basically stating this. That since he was eight days old, he has followed God's commands. According to Genesis chapter 17 verse 12, according to Leviticus chapter 12 verse 3, that since the beginning of Paul's life, he has kept God's laws. Those who converted to Judaism couldn't say that. They couldn't say they were circumcised on the eighth day. And today, many of us have a tendency to put our confidence in ritual, in baptisms or religious meetings. But those experiences are not stock for religious confidence. Notice the next one, he says, of the stock of Israel. I would say this, don't put your confidence in your ethnicity. His parents were Jews. He didn't come from a mixed family. Uh, they, they were firm believers. How do we know that they were firm believers? Because they took Paul to the temple to be circumcised on the eighth day. It's not like Paul crawled out of his bassinet and was like, I'm going down to the temple to be circumcised. No, his parents took him. So even his family has followed the traditions, followed the laws. Not many could claim that he had such purity. He was of the stock of Israel. And, and, and yet this was a special privilege to be of, of the line of Abraham. Today, a lot of people put their ethnicity in, in their, or put their confidence in ethnicity or in their country. Just because we're Americans doesn't mean we're saved. Just because we have an opportunity to live in a, in a great land doesn't mean that we are assured heaven. Ethnicity doesn't assure, assure salvation. Number three, notice what he says of the tribe of Benjamin. I would say don't put your confidence in your rank. The tribe of Benjamin was the elite of the elite. They were the, the top tribe, you could say. Remember, Benjamin was the favored son of old Jacob. Rachel had given birth to him, and then she died. The tribe of Benjamin was always placed at a, a place of honor in battle, according to Judges 5 and Hosea 5. And of course, we know the very first king of Israel was Saul the Benjamite. Today, people value their position. They value uh, their exaltation. They value how many degrees they have and, and so on. But I would say don't put your confidence in your rank. 
It's only by humbling yourself that you have right standing with God. Notice the next one. He says a Hebrew of Hebrews, which I would say don't put your confidence in tradition. Paul was pure of the the purest, Hebrew of Hebrews. While he was a Roman citizen, he could speak Greek as well. He didn't abandon his cultural roots. And tradition can be fine as long as you don't trust in tradition for salvation. You can't rely on family tradition of coming to church or, or the thing that I hear all the time uh, when I'm, I'm flying someplace and, and you know, you, you're sitting next to somebody and you, you start the, the little chit-chat, you know, and, and hi, how are you? And, and typically it always ends up coming to a point where, what do you do for a living? Glad you asked. I'm a pastor. And the, I usually get the huh? look first. Um, and then the second look like, oh no, he's going to preach the gospel to me. So I usually just say, listen, we can do this now or we can do this as we're landing. Let's, let's, just, let's just do the talk now, you know, because we're going to have the talk at some point, right? But then I always get the thought line or the, I always get the saying, well, my, my grandfather was a, a Southern Baptist preacher, you know, or, or I come from a family that, that was missionaries or so on. Listen, tradition is fine, but you can't rely on a lineage of preachers in your family. You have to have a right relationship with Jesus. Notice the next one, he says, concerning the law of Pharisee, which I would say, don't put your confidence in rule keeping. The Pharisees were the best of the best. And you got to admire, really, all, all of the hard work that they did. They followed the rules. They weren't um, chauvinists like the zealots or radicals like the Sadducees. They had a high regard for the law of God. They loved their rules. And today, people think that being a good person, following the rules, coloring in the lines, can earn salvation by being a moral person. Listen, I'm not encouraging rule-breaking, okay? You should follow the rules, yes, but I'm just saying keeping the rules will not earn you salvation. It's not like, well, if I'm, if I'm 51% good and 49% bad, then I'm going to get to heaven by the hairs of my chinny-chin-chin. No. It's not by rule-keeping, but, but right-standing with God. Notice the next one he says concerning zeal, persecuting the church. Which I would, I would say, don't put your confidence in zeal. Paul thought he was doing God's will by persecuting the church. He, he was passionate about it. So much so that when the, the other Pharisees and the other religious leaders got the Christians kicked out of town, they were just okay to kick them out. Paul was like, no, 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 I'm going to go after them in the next town, in the next town, in the next town. And you hear it today that, well, people will say... That, you know, what you believe doesn't really matter as long as you're sincere. Paul was sincere, but he realized that that didn't amount to anything in his right standing with God. Notice he says, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless, which I would say, don't put your confidence in your obedience to the law. Paul has basically given us this amazing resume This amazing resume, Hebrew of Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Could any of us say that? The righteousness in the law, blameless. Like if you were to add up the Ten Commandments, Paul can say, kept it, kept it, kept it, kept it. 
Some of us broke all 10 on our way into church today. You know? The righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But then he says, notice what he says, but what things were gained to me, I have counted loss for Christ. You see, for Paul, something changed. Everything that he could add up to his spiritual bank account was now in the negative because he had come in contact with Jesus Christ. He had come in contact with Jesus. He no longer trusted in those things because he's met Jesus and he realizes that there's nothing he could do. He considered himself in the hole, you could say, because he wanted to gain Christ. How can a guy like Paul, zealous and sincere and passionate, get it so wrong? The answer, he was using the wrong measuring stick. He trusted in all of his outward deeds to make him right with God. He trusted things that he says were gained to him. I mean, this is literally Paul's testimony. This is his bragamony. This is, this is, look at what I did for God, and look at what I did for God, and I've kept this, and I've done this, and I've done that. Paul was a rule keeper. But the problem is that none of that could amount to anything in the eyes of God. These weren't bad things. You know, being of the stock of Israel, his ethnicity of the tribe of Benjamin, those weren't bad things. But listen, sometimes good things can become bad things if they keep you from the best thing. Going to church isn't bad. Being baptized isn't bad. Working hard isn't bad. But if you rely on those things for salvation, then it keeps you from the best thing, a a good, right-standing relationship with Jesus Christ. Knowing Jesus. Listen, you can get to heaven without friends. You can get to heaven without family. You can get to heaven without respect or without honor, but you cannot get to heaven without Jesus. So what's changed in Paul's life? Well, he came in contact with Jesus on the road to Damascus. You remember the story, right? Acts chapter 8. There's Paul. He's making his way on the road to Damascus to go kill Christians. And as he's on his way, bright light, Jesus shows up and, and, and he's knocked off of his horse and, and he's like, who are you, Lord? And, and Jesus is, is like, I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting. And Paul's like, no way. And Jesus is like, Yahweh, and, right? <laughs> He'd come in contact with Jesus. His, his life was saved. He, he, his life was changed. He's been radically changed. And now notice everything that he considered a positive in his life is now a negative. He says, what things were gained to me, I now count as loss for Christ. It's like the great words of a great missionary, Jim Elliott. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Paul has just added all of these things up man, I've done this, I've done that, but it's, it's, it's loss. Do you remember what it was like for you when you first came in contact with Jesus? For some of us, we've grown up in church. For some of us, it was a, a summer camp or VBS. Maybe you walked through these doors not knowing what to expect and you gave your life to Jesus. Do you remember that moment when, when you experienced the, the radical love and grace and mercy of Jesus Christ? Because sometimes we forget that. 
Do you remember how excited you were to tell all of your friends? Do you remember? Because now sometimes we think, oh, the new believer, oh, he'll, he'll, he'll lose his excitement eventually. Do you remember when, when your life was just completely changed that, that you just, your, your mind was blown? I'll never forget what it was like for me. I grew up in church, yes. But I can't ever say that I really followed the Lord wholeheartedly until I gave my life to him in the Phoenix airport bathroom. I remember I was uh, on my way to California. I remember my, my heart was just plagued. It was just heavy. Um, I, I knew I'd been running from God for so long. And, and I was making my way to California. I was going to uh, go to San Diego State University. I had a full ride and, and was, was ready to go. And, and I just remember on the plane landing in, in Phoenix... I went to the bathroom and I just remember thinking, God, if you're real, if you're real, just change my heart, change my life. And, and, and I, I started throwing away my cigarettes in, into the trash can and, and I'm weeping like I want a beauty pageant. And, and you know, I'm just like, Jesus. And all these businessmen, right, from in, in the Phoenix airport, they're coming in and they're like, Who's, why is that guy crying, you know? And I mean, I just, I'll never forget just, just the overwhelming just joy and peace that penetrated my heart that day. Do you remember? Paul's life has been changed by Jesus. Sometimes when we become Christians, we think we gave so much up for Jesus. Oh, I gave this up. I didn't give up a full ride to San Diego State, you know, for Jesus. Like, come on. I remember thinking, God, if you ever want to use me, I'll give that up and I will, I will follow you. And, and the Lord opened up the doors for me to go to Bible college and, and my, my life's been completely different since. A pastor? What? But yeah, so many times it's like, well, I gave up a good job for Jesus or I gave up this or that for Jesus. I miss the good old days. What did you really give up? Hell? I mean, Paul, Paul the Apostle isn't like, I gave all this stuff up, my Hebrew of Hebrews for Jesus. No, all things that were gained to me, I count as loss. You remember Peter in Matthew chapter 9? I'll tell you the story. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, look at everything we've given up to follow you. And Jesus replied and said, I assure you, that when the world is made new and the Son of Man sits upon the glorious throne, you who have been my followers will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has given up his house, his brothers, sisters, fathers, mothers, children, or po uh, property for my sake will receive a hundred times as much in return. Paul knew he wasn't giving up anything. He was gaining so much more. He says, he says, I count all these things as loss. Notice, I count them as rubbish. I, I, for some reason, I hear in my head Paul, Paul saying rubbish in like a British accent. Rubbish, right? Or, that's the worst accent you've ever heard. But, you know, it, it's, actually, it's actually the Greek word skobala. It's literally um, animal excrement. It's literally, I count all things as um, garbage, or the amplified version puts it as uh, dregs. That's a nice way of saying human biological waste. Poo. Turn to your neighbor and say poo. Poo, right? You know you want to. And we're not talking about the nice little bear in the hundred acre woods, okay? 
He says, everything that I've accomplished in my life, I now count as human biological waste. It's it's nothing. It's stuff that you flush down the toilet. As you look at Paul's life, you think, wait a sec, Paul, you're in jail, aren't you? Like, you are in jail. How, how, is, how is living the glories of Christ now? Like, you're in prison. How are you living in the riches of Jesus? And Paul would say this. He would say, it's not in my righteousness. Not in my righteousness by any means, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. See, when you view your accomplishments, the things that you think put you in right standing with God as rubbish, that's when you get the full realization of the righteousness of God in your life. That in Him attitude. That 2 Corinthians chapter 5 puts it this way, that God would make Him who knew no sin to be sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. Do you you get what that means? That God would make him, who's him? Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin. Whose sin? Ours. That we would then get the righteousness of God. Martin Luther calls it the great exchange. It's the greatest trade in human history. That God gets my sin and I get his righteousness. And when Jesus dies on the cross, all that was messed up Fernando and stinky Fernando and gross Fernando and, and anything that I thought was a good in me or anything was, was gone and that now I get the righteousness of God in my life. That Satan no longer has claims on me. That, that Satan can no longer, his, his, his thoughts are no longer valid on me because I've been reconciled with God. So let me ask you the question. What is it that you think you have to offer God? What is it? Is it your eloquence in speech? Your good looks? Your money? Your uh, rule keeping? Well, Well, at least I'm not a murderer. Okay. Well, I'm a good person. Is it pride? See, it's only Christ alone that he can take dirty sinners and clean us up. So you have to stop looking to yourself. You've got to stop looking to the world. You've got to stop looking to that guy or, or that girl to, to find fulfillment and joy in. But, but you don't understand. They're so hot. So is hell. Okay? <laughs> just, just saying. You got to stop looking to yourself. Stop looking to the things of the world. Stop looking to that bottle. Stop looking to that drug. Stop looking to that pride. Because when you realize you have nothing to offer and Christ has everything, then you can drop to your knees and follow him. Notice our next point. He says in verse 10, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being conformed to his death. Paul says, all that I've built up, all my accomplishments, my Hebrew of Hebrews, my my fervor for the scripture, my passion, my zeal, I count as junk so that I might know Jesus. And not just know about him. 
like Jesus wore Birkenstock sandals and a robe and, and, you know, he hovered everywhere he went. He glowed in the dark. Not, not like that. I mean, if he glowed in the dark, then Judas wouldn't have had to kiss him. He could just say, go get nightlight over there, you know? No. Not knowing just about him, but knowing him intimately. It's the Greek word gnoskos. It means to be sure of, to understand. There's a Hebrew word with the same implication. It's a, a Hebrew word called yada, and you find this word in the Old Testament book of Genesis where it says that Adam knew his wife Eve, that they knew each other intimately, that they knew each other's deepest, darkest secrets, that they knew each other um, uh, in, in an amazing way, in the most intimate of settings. Someone once said that Adam and Eve had the perfect and ideal marriage because he didn't have to hear about all the men she could have married and she didn't have to hear about how good his mother's cooking was. You know, they knew each other. See, our simple faith in Jesus should produce a yearning within us to know him more, but not just to know him once when we get saved, but to keep on knowing him, to keep on knowing him, to keep on knowing him, like a good marriage, where, where it gets better over time, where you're, you're able to give each other looks and you know what the other person is thinking. You know, sometimes my wife and I, I'll, I'll give her a look across like the sanctuary and she'll be like, all right, it's time to go. You know, like she knows what I'm thinking. That type of bond of knowing each other well and loving all and telling all. Here's Paul. At the end of his life, 30 years of following Jesus in jail, and still his greatest yearning is to know Jesus, to know him more. As a matter of fact, it's not just something that Paul wants to know. It's something that God asks of us. He would tell us in Psalm 46, verse 10, to be still and know that I am God. He wants us to have that, that same relationship, to be still and know that I am God. And that's hard today, especially in the fast-paced culture we live in, right? Where, where the edge network's no longer good, now you got 3G, 3G is no longer good, now you got 4G, and everything's moving at a quick pace. Sometimes you just gotta slow down Slow down and know the Lord. Get to spend some time with Him. You know, when my wife and I feel like we haven't connected in some time, we always like to just get together, just the two of us, and, and go out to eat and, and spend some good quality time together where we can really communicate and get to know one another uh, better and more. And so when we go out, I can't, just because if you listen to the, my radio program at all, you know I'm a little ADD on some things. I, I just, I'm kind of like a, a Doug from Up, you know, the dog, where he's like, you are my master. I love you, squirrel, right? Like, that's me. Like, I just, and, and so I can't go out to a restaurant where there's TVs and ESPN, and I just, I just can't. I've got to sit with the TVs to my back so I can focus in on her, because if not, I'm going to be staring at the screen. And so we go to someplace nice, intimate, quiet, Sizzler. Um, do you guys remember Sizzler? <laughs> Man. You know, just, but we go to someplace nice, intimate, and quiet and get alone. Paul says, Man, that I might know him. Maybe for some of you, you've got a, you haven't connected with the Lord in a while. 
You got to put the iPod down, the iPhone down, quit looking at your screen and get to be alone with him. Spend some time with him. He says that I, I, I might know him, but also the power of his resurrection. Notice the power of his resurrection, that, that, that the full sanctification of Paul's sins is, is the same resurrection that, that resurrected Jesus from the grave. The same power lives within us. Ephesians 1.19 says, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe in him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead. Man, that, that we would understand that and, and know that. And we might say, yes, I want that power in my life. I want that power in my life. But can you say yes to the next one? And the fellowship of his suffering. We're so quick to talk about the power of God in our lives and, and so on. But, but also, what about the suffering? This flies in the face of prosperity. That you'll be healthy and wealthy and have no trials. No, 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 no. We will suffer in this life. We will. We serve a God whose nickname was the man of sorrows. Who would go to the cross through the Calvary Road. It means that we will suffer. That there will be times of hunger and pain prisons and stoning and not Colorado stoning. There will be difficulty in our lives. Now let's be clear. It's not that Paul enjoyed suffering. He can have joy in the midst of suffering because it's in those hardships that he got to know Jesus even more. And notice the other point in being conformed to his death. Death to sin death to our own righteousness, death to self. You know, sometimes we don't like those hardships and we say to the Lord, no, 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 not, not sicknesses, not, not leukemia, not bankruptcy, not, not divorce. No, Lord, I want the nice things, the comfortable things in this life. But the idea that Paul talks about here is that we shake off our earthly, fleshly desires. The desires of sin and the, the, the hardships that we'll go through. So that we can know Jesus more. That we shake them off and get rid of them. That we put off the old man and put on the new man. As the, the great theologian Taylor Swift said, shake it off. Just shake it off. That you shake off the old man and put on the new man. And when you look at that, when you stop looking to yourself and you drop to know Jesus more, it will enable you to run the race well and roll. Notice our last point, verse 11. If by any means I might obtain the resurrection of the dead. Paul had the right view. He knew that he wasn't going to be perf perfect in this life. But his goal was to get to a place where he gets the gracious reward of entering into heaven. The great reward of eternity. And this should be the, the glorious end that we look forward to. That we get a, a taste of glory now, but we have yet to experience the fullness of all that God wants to do in our lives. 
2 Corinthians 4, 6 says this, For God, who said, let there be light in the darkness, has made this light shine in our hearts so that we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. So how do you get there? Well, by seeing yourself as least, by not relying on your own religiosity or, or your own resume or your own abilities, when you stop looking to yourself and you drop to your knees to know Jesus. See, Christianity isn't about obligations. It's about transformation. Transformation of your heart. It's about him and what he's done. As we close, there are four things I'd like to take from this message that hopefully we can apply to our lives, things we can jot down and, and write. Number one is to make a beeline. Make a beeline for Jesus. Paul says, it's nothing in me, but it's all about Jesus. He doesn't dwell on the bad stuff, but he, he, he remembers it's all about Jesus. I count all things lost for Christ. It's, it's not, you know, oh, look at me and look at what I used to do and, and look at me. This is me really losing my religion. That's me in the corner. You know, like, no. This is, this is what he says. He, he says, I've gained much more. Jesus. Listen, make Jesus your focal point in every part of your life. So many times we talk about our testimonies and we talk about all the things we gave up and all the bad things we used to do and we don't make Jesus the center of it. Make the cross the center of your life. Don't just, don't just especially when you're talking to other people, when, when you're talking to other people, sometimes we're like, I used to do this, and I used to do this, and, and this is where I used to be, and blah, blah, And, and you, you barely mention Jesus. Didn't Jesus do all the hard work? He did all the hard work. He died and rose from the grave. You really, you really didn't do anything. And sometimes, you know, we'll, we'll use Christianese when we're talking to our friends. We'll, we'll use things like, and then I was covered by the blood of the Lamb. And people are like, I am not going to that church, right? That's just weird, you know? Or like we start using big words like, like somehow that God is going to be happy with us when we use williths and illiths and noweths and, and, and beseech. And God's like, I heard a beseech down there. Where is my precious child, you know? And like, no. When you're talking to people, just talk about the cross. Talk about Jesus. Make a beeline for the cross in every part of your life. Number, number two, you need to remember that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. The Judaizers were trying to get the early Christians to, to live their lives by being circumcised or eating certain things. You, know, you can't have shrimp, you can't have lobster, you can't have steak. The basic three things I order at Outback, right? Like they were trying to get them to live a certain way. You've got to focus on tradition and do, and do this. And, and Paul says, no, 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 no. Everything that I thought was a gain, it's now nothing. It's just Jesus and Jesus alone. Jesus plus nothing is everything for our lives. Number three, you need to remember that a good thing can become a bad thing if it keeps you from the best thing. Yes, Going to church is great. Yes, being baptized is awesome. Yes, I mean, reading your Bible is, is phenomenal. 
But if you're relying in your own good deeds, feeding the homeless is great, but if you're relying in that to merit some sort of good in the the eyes of God, it's keeping you from the best thing. Matthew chapter 16, verse 26 says, What does it profit a man to gain the whole world but to lose his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Being nice is a good thing. Going to church is a good thing. But if you're placing your trust in that, then it's keeping you from the best thing. Religiously and and thinking that we're, we're helping God out is rubbish in compared to knowing Jesus. You don't want the good deeds you do to keep you from a right standing in a good relationship with God. Make sure good things are not keeping you from Jesus and Jesus alone. And number four, and we'll close with this, each and every single one of us has to ask the question, do we know him? What you do with Jesus is the most important decision in your entire life. Number two is probably who you marry, but number one is what do you do with Jesus? Is he just some nice guy that lived a long time ago and had some good sayings? Or is he your Lord and Savior? Is he your King? Do you know him and have a personal relationship with him? Have you come in contact with him like Paul did? Jesus traded his righteousness so that you can have righteousness. He gave his life so that you can have life. And so it's not by being a good person, it's not by religious deeds, but it's by having a right relationship with Jesus Christ. And my prayer is that you would give your heart to him, to know him personally, intimately. Let's pray. Dear God, I know that many of us come from different walks of life, some rich, some poor, some educated, some uneducated, black and white and male and female. And yet, dear God, we know that you loved us so much, no matter our background, no matter what we came from, no no matter the way we look on the outside, you love us so much, you care about our heart. And I know that tonight there might be some people here, dear God, who don't know you. And they don't have a right relationship with you. They've been relying on their own good deeds or or they don't think that they're good enough to come to know you. I pray that tonight would be the night, dear God, that you would pour your overwhelming love and grace and mercy into their heart. And maybe you're here and that's you. You don't have a right relationship with God. You've been relying on your own means. Let me tell you, Jesus did all the work. All you have to do is say yes. Do you know him? Do you want to know him? If that's you and you feel the the conviction in your heart right now, you feel just this, this uneasiness in your heart, let me tell you, that's the Holy Spirit speaking to you. He's knocking. He's knocking. And all you have to do is open the door. And so if that's you would, you, would you have the boldness to raise your hand so I can pray for you? I would love to pray for you and just uh, that we would acknowledge that. I see your hand. God bless you and I see your hand. And back there, amen. Back over there, amen. 
bunch of hands all around. Dear God, we thank you for those um, hands that are raised. We know, dear Jesus, that you see their hand, but more importantly, you see their heart. And so we pray that tonight, dear God, they would choose to follow you, choose to honor you, choose to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. We pray that you've been touched by this study from Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call area code 303-628-7200. Be blessed this week in the Lord.